0: I am doing my private worship, private devotions. In, I'm reading maybe two, three chapters, and um, I read one chapter from the Old Testament, one chapter from the New Testament, and one chapter from Psalm. Psalm is part of the Old Testament, but that's, that's how I usually do my private devotions. And the, private, the Old Testament portion of my devotion this last week has been focused on David, David's early, um, early years. Uh, Specifically, I was reading 1 Samuel chapter 14 to 30. And as for those of you who know, David, when David was a young man and rising up in Israel, King Saul was the king of of Israel. And because David was very successful um, in fighting, battling Israel's enemy, and because he won mighty victories through the power of God, um, Saul became very jealous of David. Right? So the moment that David slayed Goliath, Saul started to notice David, and the more success David had, Saul became jealous. He became so enraged and jealous of David that he wanted David dead. David has caused no harm to Saul. In fact, it is through David that Saul's kingdom expanded. But because Saul couldn't get over his jealousy of David, he wanted to kill him. So David, with 600 of his men, fled. In and, the and majority of 1 Samuel, chapter 14 to the later part of 1 Samuel, it talks about David running away and Saul pursuing him. Saul pursued him with 3,000 army soldiers and wanted David dead. So what what I was reading this past week was in 1 Samuel, David had two opportunities to kill Saul. Once David was hiding in the cave and Saul wanted to use the bathroom, so he went inside the cave where David was. David had the opportunity to take the sword and slay Saul then and there, ending his suffering. But David didn't do it. David had another opportunity to kill Saul. Saul was encamped with his army and they were all sleeping at night. David with a handful of men entered Saul's camp. he entered Saul's tent. Saul was sleeping like a baby. David had a sword and his, one of his companions says, "Kill Saul with your sword and your suffering." David didn't do it. Why? David wasn't the right right David had done nothing wrong to Saul. And David could have ended his misery twice by killing him, killing Saul. But David didn't do it. Why? Because David says both times, Saul is God's anointed king. I don't have the right to kill God's anointed king even though that king is unjustly accusing me and unjustly want me dead, I cannot kill God's anointed. What is David doing? David is framing Saul, not in the way right? that it's, it's natural for him. He didn't frame Saul as a person who wants him dead or a person who is unjustly pursuing him. Before framing Saul from his perspective, David framed Saul through the perspective of God and who Saul was in the, in the light of God. That's why David was a person after God's own heart. That's why God loved David so. Because David framed things through the lens of God. This is what God does to the people that he loves. He shifts their framework and how they, they view the world, themselves, and other people. This is what salvation looks like. This is what it means to be born again. Last week, Paul, as he was instructing the Corinthians to be unified, he says, don't be divided, be unified. And the way he motivates them to be unified is to remind them of how they were saved. How were the Corinthians saved? They were saved through the immersion of the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism means. That they were saved by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were immersed in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be immersed in the Holy Spirit? It means like you, when you swim, you jump into the pool and you're surrounded, you're immersed in water all around. Being saved means when you are being saved, means you are surrounded. You are immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in that immersion, you see your sins. You see the work of Christ. You see the fact that He, was, he died and resurrected for you. And as you're immersed in the Holy Spirit... God gives you new life. When you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, you change. Your paradigm shifts. That's what John the Baptist was initially doing, right? John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. That's what Jesus said. He was the greatest prophet. And he was the greatest prophet because of the message he was preaching. What was the message of John the Baptist? Before Jesus' came, before public ministry, John was in the wilderness telling the Jews they must be, they must be baptized. They must, their, their sins must be cleansed. Jewish people were familiar with the practice of baptism. Did you know that? Before Jesus came, before John the Baptist came to the scene, the Jews were familiar with the practice of baptism. When, when a non-Jew, like a Gentile, when the Gentile wanted to be converted, Jews oftentimes baptized, cleansed that Gentile, the, the, the non-Jew, in, by water. They cleansed the Jew by, the, in, by water. They wait a week after the bath, and they will circumcise that the, the Gentile to make that Gentile a Jew. So the Jews were familiar with the practice of water cleansing. What John was telling the Jews was that, even though you 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 guys have these religious you are, you guys are a religious nation, you guys are brought up in the religious culture. Being brought up in religious ways, even if it's based on God's revealed word, being brought up in that culture is not enough for you to be God's people. What, need, what you need to be, John is telling the Jews, is that you need to be baptized. You need to be cleansed. And John is saying, what I do is just a symbol. The person who's really going to baptize you, the person who's really going to clean you and change you is coming. And he's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It is not enough for us to be born in a a religious culture setting. We need to be immersed by the Holy Spirit. We need our paradigm shifted. Question is, my dear friends, is this your conversion experience? All of us many, most of 99% of us were baptized. listening to this. the people who are listening to the 99% of you were baptized. And I'm not questioning the legitimacy of anyone's baptism. But the question is whether you got baptized whether you got baptized or not. Have you been immersed by the Holy Spirit? Has your paradigm shifted? Is it shifting? That's the question. We cannot talk about church unity without addressing this question. Because what unifies us is the Holy Spirit. All of us were born by the Spirit. That's the secret of unity. We cannot be unified with people. A church cannot be made up of believers and unbelievers making decisions together. That cannot be. Right? Because unbelievers are not baptized into the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers are not the body of Christ. It is those who are united in the Holy Spirit. In the bo- they are the body of Christ. The secret of church unity is immersion of the Holy Spirit. The secret to ministry, to the unity of the church, is not only do you are, are you baptized by the Spirit of God, you need to be constantly be drinking from the Spirit of God. The way you keep your unity, if you're a Christian in the body, is all of us individually must continuously drink from the Holy Spirit. That's where I ended my sermon last week. What does it mean to be drink for the Holy Spirit? We need to be constantly be influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's what Ephesians 5 is talking about, right? Do not be drunk with wine. Right? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled with the Holy Spirit means you need to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. How often? Daily. When you are daily being influenced by the Holy Spirit, He constantly, consistently changes your perception of things. That is why it is impossible to live the Christian life without being influenced by the Holy Spirit daily. What are some of the fruits of the people who are being influenced by the Holy Spirit? What does the the Holy Spirit do for you when you you are being influenced by Him? First, number one, He quenches your thirst. By by virtue of being separated from God, all of us thirst for God. But the difference between a Christian and non-Christian is, Christians know that all the thirst of our lives is ultimately about God unbelievers chase after whatever they chase after, right? I don't know, significance, fame, fortune, popularity, mama's acceptance, Papa's acceptance, I don't know. We chase everything under the sun because we think those things will give us what we yearn for, which is God, but that's not true. Christians, when the Holy Spirit enters your life, reframes your hunger to make you know the hunger that you have is really for God. When you realize that, Holy Spirit quenches your thirst. Every day, you're born, you're, we, we, we rise with thirst. The first thing that I do in the morning, you know what I do? I drink a cup of hot water, warm water, because I'm thirsty. Every morning, I am thirsty. Maybe because I'm getting old, my, my throat is getting dry, I am thirsty every morning. So I drink warm water, and the warm water goes down to my body, and I go, oh, this is living. Similarly, as I drink a cup of warm water in the morning, you drink from the Holy Spirit through prayer and the reading of your word, and he quenches your thirst for that day. He reframes things so that you will be satisfied. What is the second thing that the Holy Spirit does? When you are drinking from Him, the Holy Spirit makes you understand the love of Christ. You know that song that we just sang? He'll always sing that song. When He wants wants to get me, He sings that song. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the the Calvary. Right? Something. Singing how wonderful, amazing is God's love for me in Jesus Christ. That's what the song is about. And it gets me because I know from the core of my heart that that's true. Do you know that's true? Do you feel that that's true? Are you amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene? Can you... you, Phantom His great love for you. When you drink from the Holy Spirit, He constantly reminds you of the love of Jesus Christ. Like me, whenever you sing that song, you'll tear up. My friends, do you know the love of Jesus Christ? Do you know the great work that he did on Calvary? Christian life cannot be lived until you know this, and not just intellectually know it, but you feel it, and you're engulfed in it, and you are just surrounded by it, and you understand it. This love, you cannot do Christianity without this love, The understanding about this love. And I'm not talking about intellectual, intellectually understanding God's love. From the core of your heart, your thinking, your mind. Do you know this love? I talked about JYP last week, right? JYP, the Christian convert He got converted to Christianity, right? He studied the Bible nonstop for, the, for five years, right? And he says after five years, after three years of studying the Bible, he knew intellectually that the Bible was true. He knew intellectually that Jesus Christ really was God. But he says, I was not converted. Because even though that I knew in my head that Jesus was true, whatever, whatever, whatever Jesus said was true, I still cannot believe it. I still cannot believe that he, that he would die in love for a person like me. I couldn't believe it, he says. But one morning when he was reading Hebrews, he started believing in it. And it, well, not only was it intellectually true, but it was true for him. My dear friends, is the love of God, Jesus Christ, is his work in Calvary intellectually true? Or is it the truth that defines your existence? Christianity cannot be lived until you understand and, and th- until this truth becomes real. The Holy Spirit makes it real. Not just once, not just twice, not only when you went to that retreat when you were 15, but daily. I cannot live my Christian, I cannot live my life without without knowing, without being reminded of this truth. Is that truth for you? The Holy Spirit does that. He frames your life so that you be constantly be reminded of that. What else does the Holy Spirit do? He makes you overcome your sins. Galatians chapter 5, 18, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. How do you not carry out the desires of your flesh? Walking in the Holy Spirit, living with the Holy Spirit, being influenced by the Holy Spirit, drinking from the Holy Spirit. Paul says, if you live this way, you will overcome the desires of your flesh. How? When you walk with the Spirit, really, the way you look at sin truly changes. We cannot overcome our sins because fundamentally the way we look at sin doesn't change. Maybe for a lot of us, we know certain things are sinful, and we agree that certain things are sinful, but we cannot overcome these sinful things that we do because we're not persuaded how wrong they are. We're not looking at it with new sets of eyes. But, oh, God, I guarantee you, though, when you walk in the Spirit, when you drink from Him, oh, He shifts your eyes to look at things differently. We're dum-dums. No offense to anyone, everyone, anyone listening to this. We're dum-dums. We are dum dums we one day we get up, we drink from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit exposes things, and we see things clearly, we fall asleep, next morning we forget all over again. You know the movie Memento? Christopher Nolan is one of the first movies. Memento is about a guy who, has, who wakes up every morning forgetting everything that came before that day. So every day he gets up and he forgets everything. And so that's why he, he leaves tattoos on his body to remind himself of what happened. We're like that guy, oftentimes. We wake up and we forget. Therefore, we go to the Word again. We are influenced by the Holy Spirit again. And when we do, He shifts, He changes our paradigm. He reframes our our, our life again. That's the Christian walk. If you're thinking, oh, I was saved once. I got this Christian life down. You are dead wrong. It's a constant, revealing Shifting, paradigm, shifting experience, existence that you, that, you, that you go through with God. And that's what God does. See, you see this? It's a dynamic life that is flowing through you as you walk with the Holy Spirit. If you drink from the Holy Spirit, it's a dynamic, living, breathing type of organic thing that you experience. If your Christianity is just, oh, Another quiet time. Oh, let me do this. Oh, let me not do it. Oh, the Christian life is so depressing. Oh, I feel so down. I mean, there are moments of spiritual depression. That's true. But if your Christian life is always dead, maybe that's indicative of a a deeper reality that you don't know of. When you drink from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit shifts your thing. The way you look at sin, the Holy Spirit shifts the way you look at other people, especially Christians. Ephesians chapter five, after Paul talks about the need for the Ephesians church to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, right after he says that, he's, this is what he says: When you're influenced by the Holy Spirit, um, the, the Holy Spirit, what happens? He changes people so that we will speak to one another, Christians, with Psalms hymns, hymns, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. As Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, when you are influenced by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer, the way you look at, you start looking at other Christians, especially the people of the same church, as brothers and sisters. And together, you worship together. You, sing, you, 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 you teach psalms together. And you become one, one worshiping body as you are influenced by the Holy Spirit. What is a source of unity for our church? As people drink and are influenced by the Holy Spirit, the way we deal with each other, the way we look at each other, shifts, changes. There are many, many other examples, many, many other fruits that the Holy Spirit does. One of the main fruits that we talked about last week, when you are influenced by the Holy Spirit, you start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Is it not love? Is it not joy? Is it not peace? Is it not gentleness? It is, is it not self control? Is it not these things? These are the fruit of the Spirit. These come from the Holy Spirit. The love that you need to, 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 to be in a good marriage, right? To be in a good church. The joy that you need. Right, the, the goodness and the self-control that you need over your tongues, especially. These are generated not from within you. These are generated by the Holy Spirit. If I had to do marriage counseling, there's some of you who did, I, I did marriage counseling to. You. I want to emphasize this more. The love that you need, the joy that you need, the goodness that you need, the gentleness that you need, the kindness that you need does not come from within you. It comes from the Holy Spirit. I attributed the success of my my marriage could be better, but my marriage is improving, and and I attribute all that to the power of the Holy Spirit. PJ is not a good husband, or was not a good husband. I'm improving. But if there is any fruit that is being born in my marriage, I attribute it to the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is generating in me as I walk with Him. The world tells you that you have the power of love within you. You don't have the power of love within you. You may think you do. You have a power of judgment and division and derision within you. You have the power of condemnation within you. You have the power of division within you. Criticism in you. But the antidote to these things, trust me when I say, comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need to drink from Him Daily. You are not as nice as you think you are. I'm really sorry. This is, I'm getting really hard on you. You are not as nice as you think you are. It happens. You become this transformative, patient person as you drink from the Holy Spirit. That is why when Paul talks about the unity of the church in chapter 12, He's first starting off by telling, reminding us of the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Especially the necessity of the Holy Spirit reframing everything about us. Because one of the key divisions in the, in, in the Corinthian church was that people, the Christians, were not looking at each other and themselves through the lens of the Holy Spirit they are taking worldly judgments, they are taking worldly perspective, and they were infusing that worldly perspective in the church. Let's specifically talk about how they were doing it. Let's, talk, let's read verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, "Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body," that would not make it any less part of the body. So what is Paul addressing in these two verses? He's addressing these, in these two verses, people who have, who have less public gift, like gifting, right People who are not visibly, visible leaders of the church. People who don't have, you know, these these the people who don't have who don't seem to have important gifts in regards to their church. When they compare themselves to the people with gift of healings or prophecy, right? They thought their gifts were meaningless. Therefore, they thought, you know, the body doesn't need me. I'm not part of the body because I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody because I don't have visible gifts. That's directly from the world, is it not? The spirit of the world is you are only somebody if you have gifts and talent that stands out. If you don't have gifts and talent that stand out, if you're not pretty enough, if you're not smart enough, if you're not successful enough, then your life is meaningless. That's why social media is so so dangerous, right? People with their filters and with their, you know, one-week vacation portray their lives as something that's more glorious than it's not. My wife loves taking pictures. She takes takes pictures and she, she shows it to me. And my first question to her is, is this real? She takes pictures of herself. Is this real or is it filtered? I don't trust what I see, right? Because there's so many filters out there. I don't, I don't trust when people post vacation photos of Facebook. I'm not 100% convinced that their lives are that awesome all the time. But when people look at it, and people told me, when they look, look at the photos of people on vacation or how pretty their, their friends look, when they compare themselves, their lives, to that on social media, they think they're nobody. By the way, if I have to, if you have to look at one more picture of a restaurant food, I'm just gonna. You eat like that every day? Really? You have, you know, guacamole toast. you have like what avocado toast every day with that perfectly yolk, like yolk egg. You have that? Is that your life? People, people with less spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church were looking at that themselves, like that. I'm a loser. That guy has a gift of healing. I have the gift of serving tea. That guy can preach passionately. I have a hard time preaching to, preaching to seven-year-olds. The praise leader gets all the girls. Praise leader gets all the girls. Not yo because Hyo's, you know. Praise leader gets all the girls. Pastor, we didn't know what I'm talking about. That Sunday school Bible study teacher, they don't get all the girls. The girls don't notice them. I'm a nobody. I'm not part of the body. I'm nobody. God can't use me. Why did God make me? I'm not part of the body. They're taking the value of the world and they're infusing it. They're shooting it up in the church. What is the solution? Paul says, get a grip. Do not look at yourself through the eyes of the world. Your eyes, you need a paradigm shift. Your framework has to shift. That's what Paul is saying in verse fifteen and sixteen. He says, "If you say that you you're a foot rather than a hand, and if you say because you know evidently hand is a prominent position and foot are not, if you say you are just because you're a foot, you're nobody and you are not part of the part of the body." Paul says, "Number one, just because you feel that way about yourself, it does not make it any it does not make it any less." You are not, your limited gifts do not make you any less part of the body. Paul is saying, for those of you who think that you're a nobody, that you are not part of the body because you think you're a foot and an ear rather than an eye and a hand. If you think you're a nobody because of your limited spiritual gifts, you are wrong. Regardless of how you feel, you are still part of the body of Christ. Because your identity is not defined by how you feel about yourself. You are defined by the fact that Christ died for you, and when Christ died for you and raised you up, he automatically sets you up as part of the body of Christ. Your identity in the body of Christ is independent of how you think about yourself. That's what Paul is trying to say. Stop judging yourself. You, cannot be, you are not, not part of the body of Christ because you feel that you're not regardless of how you feel, if you have saving faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of the body of Christ. Do you know that? Do you define yourself with the value of the world? Like the, like the hand and the feet, and, and like the feet and the ear, ears of the Corinthians like define themselves? Really, truly, how do you see yourself? Is what you see more than anything, the foundation of who you are, is it in Christ? Is the fact that you are in Christ? Or do you have this faulty view of life based on the fallen standard of the world? For those of you who are not doing anything for the church, I'm not yelling at you, I love you, warm hugs, right? I, I love you, I value you, you're special, you're, you know, you're great. But for those of you who are not doing anything for the body, do you know that you're part of the body of Christ? Regardless of how talented you are or not talented, regardless of how you view your gifts, do you know that you are part of this body and God has called you for a function of the body? What is the second thing? So Paul is saying, first of all, get a grip. Regardless of how you think you are, you're still part of the body of Christ. And more importantly, second of all, Paul says, let's read verse 17 and 18. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Paul is saying in these two verses, regardless of how you feel about yourself, the truth is, God has chose you to be part of that body. He has carefully, carefully, like with His wisdom, for the sake of His glory, for the sake of the world, for your sake, He has carefully chose you to be part of his body and especially part of the body of the local church. God just didn't randomly select things and make you, like, you know, consider the church as a a necklace. He didn't select some random beads in the beach and just make a random necklace out of you. No, every piece of that necklace he carefully chose methodically, strategically chose for his glory, for the betterment of the world, for the betterment of his church, for your sake, he has chose you to be part of that body. You don't get to define your position in the church, your value in the church. You don't get to define that, Paul says. God defines it. Whether you have the gift of preaching or whether you have the gift of serving tea, whether you, you are, you are, your prayers are just fiery and people are just in all of how you pray, or you are the person who cleans the bathroom. Your value doesn't come from your understanding of your importance. It comes from understanding That God has strategically chose you to be part of this body. If you are a member of embrace, you may think that you volunteered to be part of the member of embrace, to become a member of embrace. You may seem like that. But if you're a member of embrace, it is because God chose you to be a member of embrace. You need to understand your place in the church under the sovereignty of God, sovereign wisdom of God. That this place is not just a place where you just come and go as you please. It is a place that God has chose you to be in. He could have chose you to go to the mission fields, He could have chose you to be, I don't know, to go to a career or whatever it is, but He chose you in this particular time and space to be here. You need to have a sense of more important understanding of, 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 of a sense of understanding of your place here. Do you understand? Second of all, God has not only selectively chose you to be here, He has gifted you for a particular function in this body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Paul is saying God has gifted each individual's members of the body of embrace with a particular set of skills, set of gifting, so that the body of Christ will function properly as you exercise your gifts. Look, I'm almost 50. And when there's one thing that I know about me, I only have maybe one or two gifts. In in the context of the church, I have like one gift, which is speaking. Right? That's pretty much it. Right? I don't don't have the music skills of Pastor Rujin. I don't have the technical skills of Joe. I can't, you know, rap like June. I, I, I can't do anything. I am very limited in my ability as a human being. I really am. Ask my wife. I can't open a pack of Sour, sour Patch Kids. My, my, my daughter said, like, Daddy, can you open it? I just couldn't. I can't. I let my lawn die. I'm not a lawn guy. My seat of my toilet has been like, you know, broken for the last three months. I don't know how to fix it. I'm a man of very limited talent. I have one gift, and that's teaching and preaching. Not that I'm better than that than anyone else, but that's just what has God, how God has used me. So, if I in the body of Christ, I think I'm the mouth, right? I'm the mouth. But if this church was only me doing ministry, this church would just be a body of just with one mouth. So is that is that possible? No. God has not just given this body a mouth. Right? The reason why God has just given you a pastor with one gift, there are many talent, many pastors with many different types of gifts. I only have one. And the reason why he has done that, it is so that you will function properly using your gift for the sake of the body. This body cannot move and function the way God wants us to. It, it just me be exercising my mouth. He knows exactly what our church needs to be. He knows exactly what our church needs to do. To, and to fulfill that mission, He has given the church you. You need, a, you need to be part of the... You need to function. You need to use your gift to function. Don't look at your place in the church like the world. The world says the church exists for you, for your spirituality, for you, get your, for you to get your Jesus on once a week, for you to consume the product of the church. That's what the world says the church is. No, 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 no. Paul says don't think like that. God strategically, methodically, wisely chose you so that, so that this body can function as all of us exercise our gifts. Do you understand? Let's look, at the other, let's look at verse 18 and 19. No, I'm sorry, um, 20, 21, 22. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body seem to be weaker or indispensable. And of those parts of the body that, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. I had no idea what Paul meant by this. I was like searching, thinking high and low about what, what, what Paul means. And, and I think I have a solution. So before talking about what these about verses 22, 23 mean, 24 means, In verse 20, verse 20, Paul, I'm sorry, in verse 21, Paul is addressing another problem in the Corinthian church. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He's referring to the members of the body who have awesome public spiritual gifts. Who either had really great spiritual gifts, who can lead worship like I don't know, like Chris Tomlin every week, right? Or, no, I chose Cho over Chris Tomlin any, any day of the week, by the way. Love you, man. Or, like, there's, there's like, this, this person who could preach like no other. Right? Who's the best preacher around? I don't know. He, he preached like, I don't want to say Tim Keller, but let's say he could, we could preach, preach like Tim Keller every week. Right? There are people with extraordinary spiritual gifts in the church, and not only that, there are people in the church who are really important businessmen and leaders in society who are members of that church. And some of these prominent, gifted people thought, you know what? I don't need those weaker people. Church can function with my gifts, our gifts. Right? Church can just go on with our gifts. Right? You know, the church, this church is really about, like, it's based, it, 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 it is, 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 is." Flourishing because of my gifting, my contribution. We don't need the Lord. Like, people with less, less, less talented or less you know, gifting, you know, they can leave. I don't need them. It is similar to, like, a lot of people in today think that way. For example, let's get real real here because we're amongst friends and family here we're tempted to think as long as good old PJ is here and as long as, you know, we have people who tie to the church regularly then this church can go on, right? As long as we have funding, right? As long as PJ does what he does, right? The race can go on. We don't need, you know, those single people who don't really contribute, right? We don't need those small group members who never attend small group. We don't need them. As long as people who don't contribute money, or maybe we also need maybe those small group leaders. As long as we have some small group leaders who devote their time teaching us God's Word once a week, we can function. Let's be honest, come on. Isn't that what we think sometimes? Some of the Corinthian people thought that that was true. We don't need the scrubs, they say. We just need the superstars. That's worldly thinking, isn't it? Once again, you know, is it the Pareto principle? 20% of the population or something does 80% of the work? There's only a handful of people who actually lead. Other people are just followers. As long as the leaders are there, then you know, an organization will be fine. Maybe you think, as long as I'm here and I'm doing what I do, then you, know, you don't need to contribute. Maybe I believe that way. Sometimes. When I, was, when I first came here, I thought you guys couldn't live without me. Right? Right? That this place will crumble without me. I didn't say it out loud, but sometimes I believed it. Worldly thinking. God corrects this. Verse 22 On the contrary, on the contrary means opposite of what you think, PJ. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What are the weaker body parts that Paul talks about in verse 22? He's talking about the organs, the lungs, the heart, the kidneys. Paul is describing them as weaker because they're not visible. He says these are the people who are indispensable, not the visible people of ministry. He's saying the people who are on the, in the scenes, for example, praying for our church regularly, whether it is on Tuesday night prayer meeting setting or it is in your home closet, wherever you are, people who are praying for the church. Most of the time, people don't know who, who's praying for the church. But these people who are praying for the church are the indispensable people of our ministry, not Pastor J. Who are the indispensable part of our ministry? Those who call other Christians up, other people that embrace up, and, and get coffee or, or do Zoom talk or something. People who, and people do what I know. Like before coronavirus, other people invited other, Christ, other embrace members to their homes and broke bread together. That type of charity, that type of love that is happening in the background, these are the people who are indispensable. People who teach Sunday schools to five, six-year-olds who don't know anything. Or people who teach youth group kids. A lot of them are Christians and who think Christianity is foolishness and who don't listen to you. But week in and week out, they teach these kids about the truth. These are the indispensable people of our ministry. Not Pastor Jay. Before I came here, Embrace was pastorless for over a year. Did you know that? Before me and the previous pastor, there was like a year gap, right? The, and that pastor before me, he was, he was, he was a pretty influential guy. Embrace like, grew in size under that guy's ministry. But that guy left, and we were pastorless for a year. Did the church crumble? No. Why? Because there were people at Embrace who are keeping this place together, who are organizing fellowship meetings, who are praying on a weekly basis for one another. The leadership board at the time scrambled to find guest speakers every week. There were people who were committed to serving the church for a year And that's why this place still exists. Who was the dispensable and indispensable member of our church back then? The dispensable member are the pastors, the public figures. The indispensable members are those who served quietly. Pastors, if you think you're a superstar, indispensable member of our church, I'm sorry, we're not. They thought, Old Testament, they thought Moses was indispensable. But as soon as Moses died, Joshua came up. I can die tomorrow. And embrace will go on. Because God has gifted quiet members of the church to do their role. If you think embrace is all about me, you are dead wrong. It is, Paul says, on the contrary, Paul says. Verse 23. Not only are the invisible parts indispensable, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Paul is saying, don't give all props to P.J. Don't honor PJ for being the leader of the church. Church, notice, seek out those silent workers. Those people who design websites, who upload these sermons. I feel so bad for them to have to be listening to this all over again. Those people who sacrificially teach videos to youth, like little kids. These silent members of the church Honor them. Why? Because God honors them. Do you know that? Do you know God honors the indispensable, silent workers of the church? Compared to the person, I I get all the glory because I'm the the public figure. But God's not going to reward me based upon how I was in public. In fact, people who, have, who don't get noticed but serving quietly, they will get more honor, I'm convinced, than I will ever will. Not only that, Paul says, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. The m- Greater modesty means like protect right don't just focus on taking care of me protecting me because i'm i'm strong take care of those workers who sacrifice day in and day out why because those workers who work silently are tend are are, are tend to be neglected tend to not they are not they are they are not honored they're often ignored Paul says, "Don't treat them like that." Look, when I was growing up, I went. There was a huge. I I was. I grew up in a huge church in Korea, right? Fifty thousand members. The pastor was a rock star, right? And as rock stars do, there were a lot of rich people at that church and a lot of rich female deaconesses, Nimders, right? Every time it was that the pastor's birthday, that pastor got the gifts. Man, my mom bought him a Barbary. Burberry tie every year, right? Some, some, like one of the Hyundai CEOs went to that church. He would buy that pastor like a Bentley every year, right? To honor that pastor. Paul in these verses saying, do opposite of that. Don't honor the public figures. Protect and love and be nice to those who are serving quietly. Once again, Paul is saying, reframe how you look at the members of the church. Don't look at only the important figures as the important figures of the church. God doesn't see it that way. Your eyes need to be shifted. Don't honor the talented. Don't follow just the person who has the biggest mouth. Beloved, cherish those who are serving Quietly. Paradigm shift the way you look at other people in the church. Application. The way you look at our church needs to change. Because all of us, like it or not, like the Corinthians, we we take worldly values and we bring it into the church. We don't filter our place in the church with God's truth. We filter things of the church through worldly fallen eyes. The world says, follow the leader. All you need to do is follow the leader. God says, no, 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 no. You don't follow the leader. I mean, you, I mean, you need to listen to what the leader has to preach about in God's word. But your church is more about, more than about just, just listening to, to, to good old PJ. There's a, there's a reason why God has called you here, which is to serve his function. The world says church is a place of consumption. No, that is not true. What do they say? What do they say? What what do people need to stay at a church? Sermon has to be short. Well, we we got that out. That's not going to happen. Bathrooms have to be clean. Well, our bathroom kind of smells when it rains, right? People, there has to be nice programs. If you have a if you have a short, charming pastor, like short, short, like not short, like like if your sermons are short and it's charming. Bathrooms are clean, there are good programs, people will stay at the church. That says, people, because people have the mentality, church is a place of consumption. It's not. It's a place of service. It's a place where you need to be involved. Because God has called you to be involved. Once again, like the Corinthians, we think we're not going to be part of a, we're like, once again, maybe some of us don't want to be involved in the church because we don't want to be inconvenienced. Our life is hard. We're tired. We are tired all the time. We're busy all the time. The world, world says, just work your job and the rest of your life, just take it, take it easy. Relax. God's saying, church is not a place where you relax. Church doesn't exist for you to relax and, and take in Jesus. I'm sorry, but regardless of how tired you are, God has called you for a function. Trust me when I say I know what it means to be tired. But I get more life. Not when I am in my bed looking at YouTube clips all day. But for some reason, exercising my gifts gets me energized to do more work. It's weird that way. And it's, people always tell me, aren't you going to burn out? You're going to burn out. Whoa, you got to watch yourself. And they're, they're, I mean, I take breaks, I suppose. But what I notice is I get more energy doing this. Than me not doing anything. Jordan Peterson, you know the great, not great psychologist, like the, Jordan Peterson, he's a public intellectual. He says he worked 100 hours a week since 1985. He says one thing I hated was, was to be not useful. So he poured himself for work for what, last 30 or 35 years? I could kind of see what he means. Because rest doesn't come when you just do nothing. It comes when you're serving for a purpose. World says, relax. Take in Jesus at church and just don't get involved. God says, function. Use your gift to function as a part of the body. Love each other. That's what 25 and 26 says, right? that all the members of the body have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Care deeply for one another. How do you have that view of your role in the church and other people in the church? Back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to shift your paradigm. I don't know what your gifts are. I really don't. But the only way that you'll discover your gifts is if you drink from the Holy Spirit and if you try to get involved. The thinking that ministry is only by the handful of people, that is worldly thinking and that is dead wrong and your paradigm needs to shift. It is the Holy Spirit that shifts your paradigm. Last warning before I end. Jesus says in the, parable of the, ten ta- in the par- parable of the talents, serving his body is not an option. Remember that parable? One master gave one guy five talents, the other guy two talents, the other guy one talent. I'm, is that the number? One guy, I think he gave five talents, the other guy, he gave two talents, the other guy, he gave one talent. The guy who got five talents, then to put the money to use, multiplied double. The guy who got two talents, put this money to use, multiplied by two talents. The guy who got one talent was so scared of losing that one talent, he didn't do anything, he just buried it in the ground. Master's come back, he honors the first two servants. The last servant, who didn't do anything with the gift that the master gave, he says, go away from me, you wicked servant. Serving the church is not an option if you're a Christian. Just because you don't think you're part of the church, Paul says, it doesn't make you not part of the church. There are consequences of how you used your gift for His body. I don't know what your gifts are. Maybe your gift is serving tea. I don't know. All He has called you to do is to be faithful with the gift that He gave. If you're afraid of using your gift and not use it, there will be consequences. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I know you're busy. Trust me, I know more than anyone else know what it means to be all these things. But that doesn't give you an out of serving the church. You can only be refreshed in the church as you serve your function in the church. Pray that God will reveal that to you before it's too late. Let us pray. Father, I think the dangerous thing that we all think is that we think there is no need to continually walk with you. I think we were raised with the message one saved, always saved, and which is true. But the evidence of salvation is a continual paradigm-shifting, framework-changing work of the Spirit. If our framework and paradigms are not constantly being shifted, that is indicative of the fact that perhaps we don't know you. Because we misunderstand one-saved-always-saved type of message, we believe that there is no need to walk with you or be connected with you or to, be drink, or to drink from you. And that is why, rather than the fruit of the Holy Spirit being dominant in our lives, there is division in our families, there is division in the church, there is laziness in the church. Like the Corinthians, we are tempted to look at our relationships, to look at our place in the church based on the standards of the world. We think the church is only about talented people doing their thing. We think the church is about me getting my Jesus fill. We think the church is a place of consumption rather than service. That is worldly thinking that needs to be changed, that needs to be shifted. Father, I pray you will be merciful to my brothers and sisters. Shift the way they look at their place in this church. This church doesn't exist for the, only for their benefit. This church exists for the glory of God and the health of the body of Christ. We get spiritual benefit as we exercise our gift, as we are used by you to fulfill our mission. May my brothers and sisters understand have a proper understanding of their role in, in, in the church by having a proper understanding of your sovereignty. May our church not just be a place where a handful of people exercise their gifts. Father, People, a handful of people who are publicly exercising our gifts, Father, we are the dispensable ones, the silent prayer warriors, The servers, servants who do not get any recognition, these are the indispensable part of our our body. And we thank you for raising such men and women in our church. We continue for you to raise indispensable people of our church. As we pray secretly, as we serve secretly, as we hope in you secretly, may you use their gifts, Lord, to build the glory of your name in our church. Father, we we, we thank you so much for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we live out this week, may we drink from the Holy Spirit. Constantly, may we not stay in our darkness. Father, may we always drink from your fountain so that our employers will benefit, our spouses will benefit, your kingdom will benefit, Lord. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray.